Yeah. I've I've been playing it nonstop. I've been losing sleep playing this game. <laughs> I think the game is why I'm sick. Yeah, so, probably. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna play it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Right, welcome back to the Jaunty Mantis podcast. This is a podcast full of creative questions for curious gamers, and we are those two curious gamers. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm one of their co-hosts, and Jesse is our others. Jesse, how have you been doing? Um, I'm sick today. Oh, sorry to hear that. Thanks. Uh, it's going to be fun because I just I feel like I've just got this new microphone and <laughs> you know everything's going to come through in a lot more clarity. So I'm going to try not to like uh, let fly into it. Mm-hmm. We have a special. But other than that, I'm excited about. Why are you excited? Because we have a special topic for today. Do we not? We do. You had a great question that you texted me the other day. What was that? Uh, can Baldur's Gate three improve Dungeons and Dragons? Well, yes, Dungeons and Dragons, but I think what I was specifically trying to say was, can Baldur's Gate 3 improve TTRPGs in general? And uh, I know we talk a lot about Dungeons and Dragons on this show, and we probably will talk about mostly Dungeons and Dragons on this episode, but I wanted to make sure we included that this game, uh, I think, has the ability to change the way... Uh, they they run and play in TTRPGs is definitely going to be changed for uh, for my sake. So uh, I'd like to start us off with some first impressions of the game. Maybe we give like a, a, a like a starter kind of cover for it, just in case you're listening to this in the future. Uh, Baldur's Gate three is probably one of my most favorite, if not favoriteest, video games. It's come out recently. And it is the first video game I've ever seen that is very adequately and excellently portrayed what the gaming experience at the table is like in a computer game or video game kind of setup. Yeah, it makes me mad about all the time as a youth I spent playing the SSI gold box games because mm, I remember those. Yes, this is this is so much better, so mm -hmm. much, and it's uh, it dropped August third, which from our recording date makes it about. Uh, I can't do math. Uh, <laughs> two and a half weeks old. Yeah, it's been out yeah. in the world. Yeah, I was gonna pass on this game, um, just because I, the style of game is not my favorite thing. Nothing against Divinity Sin. Uh, original sin or whatever it's called or the other Baldur's gate games it just never really interested me um and i'm so glad i decided to crack this one open and give it a shot because this is going to be something i play a lot this is going to be one of those games where uh i keep it on my computer and play it every so often for sure yeah what uh what was your first big hook my first big hook to get me into this game was yes I was actually listening to other people talk about it and they were talking about how in 
so maybe we should start out things out by saying like this is gonna be uh full spoilers i'm not gonna i'm purposely not gonna try to spoil anything for jesse he's not gonna spoil anything for me if we haven't gotten to the same parts in the game but we are not going to shy away from just discussing them here so if whatever point you're listening to this if you don't want to know anything about the game by all means uh maybe you want to skip this one but i figured this has come out late enough that if you're a fan you've already gotten as far as we have because i've looked at i've looked at every single little thing that i could talk to every single person i could made different decisions gone back and tried them again uh but my first hook was i heard on another podcast i heard the hosts talking about one of the very first things that happens in the game your character wakes up on an illithid ship uh and gets free and as you're making your way through the ship trying to you know look around you hear this voice this childlike voice you follow it it takes you up to the upper level you find a cadaver and there's a wriggling brain inside and because these are mind flayers you're like oh shit, that's a baby intellect devourer and you go through these sequences of choices where you decide how you know what you want to do with it how you want to handle it and there was this great revelation amongst the hosts where two out of three of them had uh killed the mind flare in the brain they're like this thing's evil it's you know we got to end it and then the other guy was like did you know you could actually get it out of the body and then like help it and then it follows you around and then you could like <laughs> use it as like a dog and and i was like you gotta be fucking kidding me this game i need to look into it oh us <laughs> rest in power king <laughs> yeah what about you what was your first hook into the game um well it's really funny because the first time i fired it up uh, in that starting illithid ship, there are all of these vials of uh, acidic brine. And I started just smashing all of them to see if there was treasure inside. And yeah. it sprayed acid all over the floor and I wasn't paying attention. And I died. I died before leaving the second room <laughs> um, from my own foolish actions. I was like, oh, this game ain't messing around. Mm -hmm. So I took a little break from it. And then I came back and encountered us and all that uh and all and your all your playthroughs of the first part because i know you've got multiple ones here's a here's mm. a question have you lobotomized it i have not i cannot bring myself to do it i that's the other thing about this game there are mm -hmm. some choices moral choices that i'm like i just can't do it i know it's a bad thing like <laughs> yeah. but i just can't like it's so young so new to the world mm -hmm. i just can't you know, dig out part of it to make it more docile. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. And I think that speaks to like the pure magic of this game where it's like, it gives you this feeling like you can do anything. Like they keep saying this ship is going to crash. And, and usually in a video game, you're like, this ship's not going to crash. I can look around and do whatever I want. Um, and you like we have such a, a built in way that we play games where we expect them to go. And when a game like this has such depth and an ability to surprise you, make you e I've regretted decisions that I've made. I've uh, I've I've found things that I didn't because I've done multiple first character playthroughs because I wanted to get a sense of what the classes were like and how they functioned. And uh, and I've noticed things that didn't happen with the other character like um have you fallen asleep with Asterion uh, lurking around your camp yet? Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so Asterion's a vampire. <laughs> yeah, well, just today, just today, and I'm not very far in the game, I found an exsanguinated boar mm-hmm. uh, near where our camp is, and Asterion really did not think we needed to spend any time with it. And I was like, hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you have the moment where he's creeping over you and you wake up and catch him as he's about to drink your blood? And No. No, oh no um, okay <laughs> no i i knew no i can feel that in the card i've seen him sneaking around camp okay you know, so all right well i broke my rule about trying not to spoil this for jesse but i'm gonna go ahead and spoil a part for the for jesse that i just did so you wake up and he's about to feed on you and then you have a sequence of prompts and and things you can say that go into a conversation and um the first time i did it I didn't have any bite marks on me through the rest of the sequence. This time when I did it, my character has bite marks. So that motherfucker already bit me and I woke up (laughs) after it. That's how fucking amazing this game is because during this whole sequence, I'm like, why does my character have two really dark scratchy bite marks on her neck? And I'm like, that wasn't in the other save before. And I went back and went to that other character and did it again. And sure enough, not there. Different character, different class. There must be like a perception check or something for you to wake up or whatever after either before or after he's drinking from you. I swear it. Uh, it's not there in the other version. And the game is filled with shit like this. Yeah. Yeah. I just found a potion of speak with animals because I'm not running a druid and I'm mm-hmm. so excited. And then I talked to a frog. And um, <laughs> have you been to the wetlands yet? The bright, the bright uh, wetlands. I don't think I've been to the wetlands yet. No. Um. Don't. It's. <laughs> uh. It, it. Yeah. I. Um. It. it I don't want to spoil that. It's just. Mm-hmm. But it's horrific. I've made some choices. One of my <laughs> eyes is green now. Oh wow. Um, yeah. It's a. See, and I've played a lot more of the game that Jesse has, and I haven't found this yet. It's did you find the harpy nest by the mm-hmm. druid enclave? Mm-hmm. That was cool. That yep. was a hard fight. Um, yeah, I I'm sure there's something to do with the dark mines you find on the illithid ship. I've been carrying them around. I just don't mm-hmm. know what it is yet. Yeah, mine are at camp. I put them in the chest. I found out in the swamp why you're not transforming as fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay interesting i look forward to getting there or not looking forward to getting there but loving every second of it yeah you can you can do amazing things they have story characters in this game and you can accidentally get them killed or you can make decisions to kill them yourselves or you can use them in certain amounts they can get upset with you and leave your party i found that out um there's all sorts of great um, things you can do, you can use items and the game does not, the, the game will give you minor tutorials if you want them, but it won't teach you all of these things. Like I, I have so much rope on my characters and I still don't know how to use it. I don't even know <laughs> if you can use it. I assume you can, and I'm going to need it at some point. And so I've got like 17 piles of rope. Yep. 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 <laughs> I think that's one of the things interesting just to mention, uh, as much as there's been a ton of praise, like people throw around the terms game of the year, mm-hmm. all, all kinds of stuff. That's one of the critiques I've been reading is people are like, you know, of course, why wouldn't I save? Because if I 
you know, don't play a high charisma character, I get the conversation option wrong, and then I don't have the resources I need for the combat sim part of the game. And I'm and maybe it's the generation of player that I am. I'm just like, <laughs> you, you never get to really go into a fight optimal. It's a fight. Like mm-hmm. there, there's stakes. Mm-hmm. There's a flea button. You know, use it. Like, right. Right. I definitely say whatever way you want to play this game, as long as you're getting enjoyment out of it, you're doing it correctly. Um, I will do, I think the term is called save scumming or whatever, but I do that only with um, stuff at camp because after that vampire bite there, I just want to start exploring conversations to see where they go. And that is kind of a lead into our topic tonight, which is, you know, how can, or, or can Baldur's Gate three teach us more about gaming in general or change gaming for us? Because I'm I'm at the point where I'm practically studying this game and how it does things. And that's where I start save scumming is like I'll be in a social situation in the camp. I'll go through a set of options and then I'll be like, well, wait a minute. What if I said this other thing and what does that lead to and how much of that game does it change? And in some cases, it doesn't change anything or it changes a little or it changes a lot. So I've been just entranced with this idea of just exploring the options in addition to the game like. This Baldur's Baldur's Gate 3 is something I'm going to be playing for years, in my opinion. So let me give you an example of a first thing that I thought was a way that Baldur's Gate 3 could change tabletop role-playing games, especially Dungeons & Dragons. And this is is painful for me to admit. I'm kind of embarrassed by this. But in Dungeons & Dragons, they have the difficulty class set for different tasks that you can have the players experience in the game, climbing a mountain, jumping over you know, a ledge or trying to, you know, charm the guard into letting you pass the door. And D&D has always given you that DC five as an easy, as the easiest, you know, difficulty class to set the roles at. And I've never used it, never used it once because I was like, if it's easy and it's a DC five, what's the point? Why not just have them get it? And this game has shown me why you have a DC five difficulty class whenever you can because it creates uh role play it creates circumstance like i used to look at dungeons and dragons and the way you roll the d20 and use skills or ability checks and i never looked at it in this way of saying well this is an opportunity for more role play i always looked at it as an unnecessary barrier yeah i feel the same way about dc 10 skill checks as well <laughs> it's normally i'm like wow 10 uh it's probably more than a 50-50 chance. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. And and then like I never use DC 20. Mm. So um and uh the, I mean any this doesn't have to be DD on this one. Any system with a skill check that's hard. Um, whatever you gotta do, like uh put a penalty on it if it's Warhammer fantasy role play or whatever, like to make it a significant challenge with a very low chance of success. I made two twenties today when wow. I was playing. Yeah. Um, and both times I was like, holy, like the feeling I got from making that. Mm-hmm. And then what happened in the story, it's why I have, uh, is that why I have a green eye? Yeah. It's part of the reason I have a green <laughs> eye. Um, and I have a horn that lets me summon ogres. So, ah, like, so you chose not to kill the ogres. Like I did. <laughs> I wasn't going to fight three ogres. Are you nuts? I am nuts. I fought them and killed them. <laughs> I did fight the um the couple where the coitus interruptus situation mm-hmm. in the barn. Yeah, 
Yeah. I had two different options depending on the different characters because I got to that one in the first run through as well. And in the first one, uh, so for those of you who don't know, they're in this town that's being controlled by goblins and hobgoblins and ogres. You can you hear this like banging noise in this barn or building. And when you open up the door and all of your characters reflect this vision of horror, bemused horror as a hobgoblin is having sex with a giant ogre and they pull back and you can eat like there's a variety of different things in my first version um they paused and i was i then had the option to be like oh keep going on this is considered the height of smut at baldur's gate like <laughs> you know and and then the hobgoblin is like oh really you think people would be interested in my prowess like this is amazing and then they get pissed <laughs> off and they like leave because she's all you know done with it and then the version of that i'm playing now we interrupt them and then they just attacked us you know so there was no option for that um so it's 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 definitely you know an opportunity to create um you know circumstances and opportunities in our own games based on these kind of like small um uses of game mechanics for sure and when it comes to the three ogres uh, do you know why the one like so of those three ogres, one of them is super smart. Do you know why he's super smart? The gourmand. I don't know why he's super smart. If he told me it's because he has a varied diet. <laughs> if you kill the ogres, which I did, I laid a clever trap for them where I, I drew them out into the streets and I had my my team up on different parts of the village on roofs and I just like like showered, you know, ranged attacks down on them and lit grease underneath them and you know all sorts of great stuff so when you kill them and you loot his corpse he has like a, a busted um like crown that makes the wearer's intelligence 17. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another thing that this game has done um that is a good reminder and i think this is maybe a basic dm thing but i i usually don't do it is like you have a combat that's pretty clearly probably going to be a combat encounter. Mm -hmm. Having chatty monsters, this this game Beautiful. has been such a a great reminder to just have chatty monsters. Yeah, like it's fun. Yeah, and that's and I think these two examples, the couple in the barn and the three ogres that you can either um, in Jesse's version, you got a horn from them. Explain that. So I'm talking to them, and the guy said, "Oh, you know, like we don't." You know the goblins pay us to to do this we don't believe in you know this god of theirs they just pay us i'm like well i could pay you and he's like oh well what's your offer and i was just like uh after we kill them all you can eat all the bodies and it's like make a persuasion check dc 20. <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> okay and i did it i rolled a 19. oh um, wow and I had a minus one and then my guidance roll was a three and it was like, <laughs> and they're like, all right, here's this horn, you know, blow it and we'll be there. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And then they go running off and I was like, I can't believe that worked. I thought yep. I was going to have to run away from these ogres. Yep. And I think that's a perfect example of what we can learn for our own tabletop games, because basically anything you can talk to in this game that you can also fight it. In my opinion, it pays in to go and talk to them and figure out what the story is, figure out what your options are, see what you can learn. 
And then if you're like me, just go back through and kill them all because they threaten those poor people at the Grove. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, uh, I, I gotta say, this is one of the things, okay, here's a hot take. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying we go back to 4E, but this game is really making me kind of question theater of the mind. Oh, wow. Interesting. Because the tactical element, the play loop I'm having with having to fight these monsters tactically mm-hmm. is so enjoyable to me. Like, so enjoyable to me. Like, uh, when you... I'm sure you've been to the like crypt in the church mm-hmm. that that's right by the starting area. Mm-hmm. And there's those alkalites that are skeletons with 10 hit points, but they can yep. cast frostbolt and yep. they can cast silence. So mm-hmm. they drop silence on your spellcaster and then frostbolt them. So they can't move out of it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's great. That yep. just up the stakes for these 10 hit point monsters. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't really know how that works as well in theater of the mind. Like all it the doesn't. grease shenanigans, it doesn't really work as well in theater of the mind. It doesn't. You're exactly right. In that same fight, what I did was I backed all of my team into the crypt after pressing the switch to open the door. And then we just went up against the walls. And as they came up, then we uh, threw grease on the ground, set it on fire, and then picked them off as they started to get in close. And I like make my my characters like hide in the corners so they can't be detected. Um, so I totally agree with you that like I, I isn't it weird that we're saying this because you and me are like died in the wool story gamers and theater of the mind just seems like that's totally our thing. And there was a time where I was like, you know what, fuck uh, grid hex grids and graph and little miniatures or using a virtual tabletop we're just going to go back to theater of the mind and it'll be great and and we've been doing that and it's been awesome but after all the options in this game i now want to go back to grid combat (laughs) like i i've realized really early on stealth and a shove is is a Mm -hmm. pretty high utility uh thing and i just so i made a character based Mm -hmm. on for my solo play based on my character from our Takara game. So I'm mm-hmm. playing as Burdine Cleargrain after he unfortunately died to three intellect devourers, like very <laughs> shortly after starting. I restarted the game. He's doing much better now. Um Excellent. and I got the uh the pushing strike as one of my battle master tactics. Yes. And I have a ranged version. So anybody who's standing on a roof or a pinnacle, like <laughs> I just get out the longbow and I'm like pushing shot. And if they fail their save death that's awesome that's awesome it's so fun that is brilliant like there is no better feeling than pushing something off of another thing and watching them die <laughs> yeah it's like... i mean when my my first child was born and i held her in it, her, my arms it was pretty amazing but watching that goblet go or goblin go flying off that pinnacle of rock to impact with a wet thud on the ground below man so much better mm-hmm mm-hmm it's an amazing feature in the game. So I definitely want to use more elements like that in our, our standard games for sure. So what's a, what's another thing that you think this game in, encapsulates or, or uses that would serve us well in our tabletop role-playing game experience, dare I say Dungeons and Dragons, no matter the edition? I think having a staff of professional writers and voice actors to make all your NPCs... <laughs> Could be really helpful, including the animals. 
there's a couple things I've noticed that are not rules as written. Okay. Um, like the ability to use inspiration after you fail a check. We've already house ruled that in our normal games. Mm -hmm. Um, that, yeah, you can just do it to get a reroll. Why not? That's fun. Um, and then, oh, what's the other one? Uh, there's a lot of jumping. Yeah, I had, <laughs> I mean, I not just, in, else. not just inspiration after the fact, but you can, you can, accumulate inspiration you know in in 5e it's either you are inspired or you don't in the tabletop version and yeah. i know other people were doing this in their games before this but i think it really opens up the game if you're able to make more uses for inspiration which is what which is what i want to do moving forward i want cumulative inspiration i want you to build it up and be able to use it after the rolls to get it right well, the way they use that inspiration system too, oddly enough, it makes the background feature of 5e more meaningful. Explain. Um, well, so many of the ways you get inspiration in this game have to do with something related to your background. Mm -hmm. So if you're like an alkalite and you do something that like is a special religious knowledge, you'll get inspiration from doing that. Or if you play on like, you play on where you're from, like as a Baldurian or something, mm -hmm. you know, like it's really it's really interesting um and i'm just like if you had triggers or awarded inspiration i think players are pretty savvy when it comes to spendable resources if you had like a list mm -hmm. of their backgrounds and had you know um, yeah triggers based on them or like suggestions you know yeah i mean i cool we're kind of already doing that with our eberron game that um that I was running and then we'll be running again after a break. Um, but we were using the bonds system from dungeon world. And I think that when, you know, every character had a bond with a, another character. And for those of you who don't know the bond system from dungeon world uses a question or icebreaker style prompt to involve another character. Um, and the way that I decided to use them for the Eberron game was based on the choices you made for your character. So if you were playing a gnome in Eberron, gnomes uh, live in a society that covets secrets. And so the bond, the opening bond is that um, such and such has a secret that, you know, you're interested in. I forget how I worded it exactly, but it's a shared secret between those two characters. And that's what ties them together. So I put in bonds that I ripped straight out of Dungeon World or other people's customized bonds from that you can find online. And I applied them to the character creation process and let the players choose them. And I think that that's an easy way to start handing out inspiration <laughs> in, in, a, in a 5e game is by things that involve, you know, role playing or story elements or even clever quips between the player characters that, you know, it's a great way to encourage that kind of storied behavior, don't you think? Yep. I think people are also more likely to spend it to make the game more swingy. Um, yeah. If they have multiple, if they know it's not going to necessarily be a while, because I think rules as written is like whenever you like represent your ideals or your bonds in game. But mm -hmm. yeah. like, have you ever used the feature that comes with a background? Never, never. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking about that because I think what is mine noble or soldier like mm -hmm. I, I've never met run into someone who served in the regiment or something like blah blah folk hero I played that a lot 
Yeah. I've never like requested aid from the peasantry. Um, well, I will do you one better then because in when we get back to Eberron, I have taken things that I've found primarily from the cipher system because the cipher system does a version of this like beautifully, which is called GM intrusions and player intrusions. And they are ways that the GM and the player can use experience to influence the outcome of the game. So when the GM does it, it's around certain circumstances. Like um, if you missed with an attack, the GM could be like, and your weapon broke. So that's with the intrusion. That's like the GM offers you an experience point to give to somebody else. If you accept the intrusion, you don't have to, but. Right. And then on the player side of that, you can use built-in character intrusions, like for the fighter equivalent in that game, you can use like um, one that gives that like uh, an old ally appears that you served with and they can help you out with something, but they're on a mission of their own. So they got to get on their way as soon as they try to help you. And so what I did is I took those intrusions from the cipher system and I put them into the character backgrounds and they fit almost perfectly. So for the soldier background for 5e, you'll be able to spend a point of inspiration and get that old soldier at arms experience, that intrusion from the cipher system where we can be like, okay, well, somebody from your past that you served with shows up, here are the circumstances and you have a split second to utilize them. And I think if you give people uh, an additional option for inspiration, I'm 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 wondering if that will pay off. We won't know until we try. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> my, you know, my initial reaction is to just overload the players with tons of things you could spend inspiration on, which I'm not going to do this time. I'm glad you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I knew I would eventually. That's like one of my biggest shortcomings as a game master um, is that I just want to do so much that I'm like, why wouldn't the players love to have all of these options? Here are two pages of things you can do and choose from. And everyone's like, ah, fuck, is he doing this again? We just want to roll dice, kill monsters and make some jokes. In my defense, I'm not. I'm always like, ah, a new system to master, and it's not been play tested, so I can break it for profit and advantage. Um, and this, the, okay, here's another one, uh, D and D specific. Mm -hmm. It's really got me tuned into the action economy. Okay, like I just feel like I wouldn't say I was a slouch at knowing the rules to D and D, mm -hmm. but I feel like now it's just like, oh man, I know. Like it is so clear, so driven home, like what that, you know, cycle of move, regular action, one bonus action, item interaction, like mm -hmm. what that is. That game does the best job of teaching that of anything I've ever seen. So for sure. Yeah. So teaching us how to use the action economy is another great way it can improve our our D and D experience for sure. I'm also wondering what kind of things that players can take away from this. Um, for the future of their D and D games. I think there's a lot to offer here for GMs. These are our first impressions, but I'm wondering what players, you know, can primarily, uh, take away from this experience besides learning the action economy. What do you think? Um, I think as a DM, you can learn to put things to make combat easier in the scene. Like what? So, uh, you know, very early on you go to that temple and there's those bandits there. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and they're standing on that little circle. At least two of them are. There's the archer off to the left and the mage off to the right. Do you know there's a giant weight with a rope hanging right above mm-hmm. that circle? And if you shoot it, it drops and you can probably take out two of them right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you know in that ogre room, there's a crooked support for the building right next to them? Yeah, but I couldn't figure out how to use it because I I started that fight with my character that was going to tempt them to come outside to be shot to death in the streets. <laughs> I I was like, maybe I could just collapse this beam and bring the whole house down on them, but it wouldn't work. Like I had Lazelle go in there and fucking try to knock it over and nothing happened. I'd try what? to throw a smoke bomb at it, I think. Do some force damage to it. Interesting. Yeah. But now the ogres work for me because I told them they could eat all the goblins. <laughs> <laughs> and in mine, they're just dead. Yeah. And this here's the other thing, too, because I know we've just kind of come off. It was only a couple weeks ago for our dear listeners that we did like the alignment discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this game is like, fuck alignment. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care. Well, I'm glad you brought consequences, that up. Yeah. but. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is it's actual consequences, right? Like you and I both kind of alluded to this earlier, but like, and maybe this will disgust, you know, uh, you know, uh, diehard video gamers, but like, I am playing this game as a character specifically. I am making decisions as a character. My character in this game is a cleric. It's a cleric of the life domain. And she's an old female dwarf with a soldier background. And she was fighting on the front lines of a military campaign for most of her life. And then her form of retirement is to start adventuring. And this was the backup character I had for our Takara game with Burdine. I was wrestling between two different character concepts. We discussed the first one some episodes ago about the lawful good cleric who worships an evil deity and tries to put everything, everyone through minor points of suffering in order to avert the worst that his God has to offer. But this was the second character concept. And I'm glad I went with the first, cause I think it's a much better fit with the party. But that second one, the reason why I didn't go with it is cause I just didn't have it fleshed out well enough. There wasn't enough there. So I'm like, well, when I do my actual playthrough, I'm going to play as her and then figure out who this character is and make decisions in the game, you know, according to that. So there's moments where, you know, a prisoner could get a goblin prisoner could get shot by a pissed off uh, tiefling woman who lost her her brother uh, to a goblin attack. And I have to sit there and think about it as to whether or not my character is going to stand in the way of that shot or just be like, look, this is your decision to make. I've been where you are right now once you cross this path you'll never be able to go back and like i will sit in front of the computer trying to think of what the appropriate character response is yeah i've (laughs) my my choices that i've made i mean beyond having different options because of their skill sets but my my warlock playthrough and my burdine the fighter playthrough have Mm. been very very different on the moral arc of those characters because like my arch fey patron warlock is just like friends charm person we all love you detect thoughts ah yes yes Mm. oh you think your brother would judge you poorly if you fired that crossbow that's what your brain's telling me let me work that into the conversation (laughs) like yeah yeah for sure and this i think also was what inspired this topic for us because we're putting our normally slated a uh, couple of episodes off to the side for this one 
um, and then future ones, because I want to do follow-ups to this app, because this is our first impression episode of Baldur's Gate 3. But this was the inspiration behind it was, you know, for a while, I've been wanting to run a more on-the-rails style of game. And my big question to you for this episode is going to be, should I create not full prompts, but should I give players a list of options that they can do in a situation under full understanding that they don't have to follow them, not to simulate what's happening in the game, but to provide that on the rails experience and kind of show the narrative paths that things can go in. What do you think? See, I'm adverse to that. Just, just knee jerk, knee jerk mm -hmm. reaction is it's just, you know, like I, I could see, I could see the utility and I would say if I wanted to do the normal Jesse thing of being like reasonable, try to be reasonable and meet you halfway, I'd have a count in my head of like, I'm going to count to five in my head after I say, what do you do? And if nobody says anything, I'm going to say mm -hmm. three likely options are you definitely, but it just seems like that would be exhausting for prep on the DM side. Oh, I wasn't going to do much prep with it. I was going to still do the same amount of prep, maybe a little bit more using the lazy GM method of just establishing tags for that character about motivation, what they want, what they don't want, what they're afraid of, stuff like that, and then mold it in the scene so that I have the notes to work with with the scene and then to run. I know where I want this to go and then deliver those kind of cues to the players. Like in this video game, they do something where like, I don't do this. Like if, if a character is lying to you, the game is rolling a perception check and if a uh, passive perception, right? And if you pass your passive perception, the game will give you a cue as to whether or not they're lying and how severe it is. And it's up to you to decide how severe that is and whether or not you should push it. So what I want to do is use passive skill checks for everything <laughs> moving forward um, and just like be rolling all that as after I ask, what do you guys do? And then start delivering information based on the, what the results are. And yeah, that is too another much work. thing. No, that's another thing the game does really well is like having those little cut-ins that's just like, you feel like, you know, that like those things, mm -hmm. um, that I find to be really, you know, really great for prompting my choices. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I think standing in you know looking way back down the road after 4e we don't necessarily want to have a ttrpg experience that just tries to chase the competition and emulate a video game mm -hmm. no no shade on 4e players before you write us angry letters please write us angry letters no one sends us email <laughs> um but uh yeah like it's just not for me and i'm not saying it's bad mm-hmm so, and I'm sorry, this is probably a weird thing to hear from something that you picked up on the internet, but just because it's not for me doesn't make it bad. Um, what a concept. <laughs> I, it's weird. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, another change that, that I want to make that ties into what we're talking about on this particular part of the conversation is that I want to make a primary skill user for encounters that like would normally require it. Because a big pet peeve of mine specifically in D&D, &D, but it's not limited to that experience, is that you will have like a room or a conversation or whatever the case or a knowledge check. And um, 
you know, somebody will discover that they can make an appropriate check. And then for some reason, almost everybody in the party is like, well, I make that check. Well, I make that check. I got a 22. I got a 17. I got a five. I got a 10. And it's just like, it's, it's a cacophony of player actions. Like it's, it's too much. And so what I want to do in my future games is say, well, the group has to designate a, a primary skill user for this particular activity. Don't worry if you guys are walking down a hallway and there's a perception for a trap, like I'll give it to everybody just to make sure you guys can have a chance to catch it. But if you're in a, in a uh, talking to a specific character, it doesn't make sense for everybody to be just shouting stuff at that person. Not to say that other people can't say it, but if you're trying to use a skill check, the party should either nominate someone to be that conversation piece and use those skills, or somebody should just step up and the first one is the one that works. But I also want to recognize that other people want to participate. And I think this is another way we can use inspiration, right? So I want to, in my future D&D games, there's going to, in most circumstances that require it, there's going to be a primary skill user. And if anybody wants to jump in on that experience, they can either use the aid another uh, equivalent action for 5e. I don't know what it's called. That's what it was called in 30. I think or, it's aid. Okay. Or they can spend a point of inspiration and they can also roll in it as if they were the primary skill user. And we'll leave it up to that. What do you think about that? I don't <laughs> I don't know about turn jumping in. The party designates a primary skill user probably based on the player's skill, mm -hmm. right? Um, so having the ability to just jump in and steal their thunder doesn't necessarily seem like a... <laughs> but that's what's already happening, though. I mean, that Yeah, but if you're creating a system to mitigate that, like leaving the option, mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll have I don't to see know. How I think one out. of the things you should definitely do that, like with <laughs> the aid and help from Dungeon World and all those, mm -hmm. is that like if you choose to aid and roll in, if this goes sideways, you're caught up in it too. Great point. Yes. So an example. I just trying to think how this works with an example. So there's the trapped room in the crypt where you mm -hmm. get the magic spear from the big tomb, right? First playthrough, I came at it from inside the crypt. Astarian noticed every single trap, disarmed them easily, like mm -hmm. with glee, no problem. We opened the coffin, we looted the whole room. I was playing a warlock. I gave him that badass spear. We got on our happy way. Mm -hmm. Second playthrough multiplayer with my buddy Mark. We he's a thief, so we pick the lock on the outer door and walk in. Neither one of us, we don't have, we only have a shadow heart. Neither one of us notices <laughs> any of the traps. I go to open the sarcophagus. The traps all go off. We all die. We have to reload. <laughs> Attempt number three, we enter from inside the church. Astarian notices the first trap. I disarm it. I go to disarm the trap on the sarcophagus. I roll a one. The traps go off. <laughs> but because we have this one vent, we only take the flame bolt damage of four and are able to get out of there and then time it to run back in and loot the sarcophagus oh, wow. while the whole rest of the room except this one corner is on fire. I didn't even know all what of happens. those were great play experiences. <laughs> I didn't even know all that happens because I disarmed everything. I have yeah. never seen what happens when the traps go off. The, wow. the vents, the firebolts go across the room and ignite whatever's coming out of those vents as an explosive gas. So it's a combination of fireball and flame bolt oh, wow. in the entire room. So where do we want to see this game? Where are we hoping for in the future? 
Well, wait a minute. Actually, before we go there, have you been romancing? I haven't got far enough to romance yet. Oh, wow. Okay. I, okay. I will say Astarian did, uh, you know, have the conversation where he's lying down on his bedroll, looking rather fetching and trying to be like, come hither eyes. And I'm like, yeah, I think, you know, so I, that I don't, I don't, I don't think Berdine's terribly queer. So, <laughs> so that happened on my first, uh, just seeing what the game is like. It hasn't happened since. So for my, current for the character i'm actually now playing the game through she and astarian have like that typical uh you know where he's like super catty with her but they both know that they're just joking around like he hasn't tried to make a play for her yet i don't know what it is but i either i get an approval from him and then i get a disapproval i get an approval from him and then i get a disapproval so he's just always at a neutral point with her he and... runs hot and cold, that guy. Yeah. So it's my like lore, my will say, my warlock would have totally been down for that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a that's an interesting point, right? Because I'm playing what is effectively a venerable soldier, old dwarf woman. And like I didn't realize that there was sexy time in this game. I heard there was relationships, but I didn't know there was a sexy element as well. So I had to sit there and really think about whether or not like this is uh what i wanted in my game experience like i am a very sex positive person i am not a prude about really all, i mean practically anything when it comes to sex i think if you're two consent consenting adults uh whatever you do in the privacy of your own home or out on the street uh is up to you uh it really doesn't bother me uh but the way i feel about this game in particular is uh, kind of the way that I look at sex and nudity in a show like uh, Game of Thrones. And if you've seen Game of Thrones, and a lot of us did, there's a lot of nudity in sexual situations. And when I watched that show, it was like, I, I, I'm like, we live in a world with that is in this country, in the United States of America, we're extremely repressed sexually. And yet we sexualize everything in marketing and, and whatever the case may be. And we have you know, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to porn. However you feel about porn, there's tons of it out there. So if I really want to see sex and nudity, I can go find exactly what I'm looking for on the internet. I don't really need to see it in a show. And I'm watching a show for story and acting and development. And so usually when I see sex or nudity in a show, I don't get annoyed, but I'm like, this is getting in the way of the stuff I actually want to see because I don't I'm, I don't need to ogle nudity and sex in a in a TV show. So that's kind of how I was looking at it in the game where I was like, do I like I want to get to the cool story stuff like I don't get turned on by watching video game characters have sex. Right. But then I started to think about it and I was like, OK, let's stay true to the character and let's see what happens. So there's a character named Lazelle. Uh, she's a fighter. She's a Gith Yankee, Gith Yankee. And um, she's the one who made the first pass at uh, at my character. And she was like, you know, I misjudged you at first, but I've seen you in battle. I can't stop thinking about you. She's like my neck's sweating every time you're around me. And she makes an offer and I had to sit there and think about it. And I was like, you know what? My dwarf <laughs> character who was a soldier on the front lines, uh, they probably had sexual experiences to just get that part of it out of their their existence. 
didn't form complex relationships. This one makes sense to me. So I went ahead and let it happen. <laughs> and it has gotten worse from there. <laughs> I, w uh, I am uh, a bit of a prude when it comes to uh, TTRPGs. Like I just, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not looking for that kind of fantasy in my fantasy. Like Fair no, no problem with people who are, but like, I'm not, I'm not interested in romance. I tried it once in an exalted game mm -hmm. and I wound up sh like shacking up with like a demon of the second circle and the rest of the party was appalled. And I'm just like, oh, so we got a demon working for us now. What do you want? Um, mm -hmm. But you know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's not the thing that I'm looking for in my play experience. Again, I can understand why people do. Um, so I immediately like turned nudity off because I just figured it was going to be like, uh, like when I tried to watch anime, because inevitably if I find an anime series, I watch like, it could be like the most compelling, like giant robot mecha about the costs of war and the, you know, the burden on the human soul and dreaming of a better future. And it could just be beautiful illustrations and, the moment Carrie walks in the room is the one time in three seasons that somebody's panties are showing and they're blushing. <laughs> like, yep. so I was like, man, with the romance option, the same, same thing's going to happen. Like, do I have to not play this game when my kids are awake? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, for that, I would say yes. You know, <laughs> I, I do wish that kind of gave you more of an upfront um, disclaimer about it. There is a short prompt that says there's going to be some nudity. I think you just mentioned this, um, you know, check this box or whatever the case may be. But um, there's a part of me that's pleasantly surprised that this is an element that's in the game. And then there's a part of me that's like a kind of, you know, wish that this had, they just put it up in my face and said, hey, look, there's going to be some sexy time situations in here. If you want it, check this box if you don't or something like that. But then I probably would have checked the box so it didn't happen. And then what would I have been missing out on? Because like my character has only had a sexual experience with Lazelle, but um, on complete accident, she's uh, charming, uh, having a very charming relationship with Shadowheart, which I did not intend. And I think is hilarious because I've listened to a lot of people talk about this game and a lot of people are obsessed with trying to romance Shadowheart. And I'm like, why? And I'm sitting there going like, why are they having difficulty? This, this is like super easy. And I was like, oh, it's because when she said she didn't want to talk about something, I didn't push it. When she said she needed a break, I gave it to her. When she said like, look, there's a lot going on here. I said, that's cool. I respect that. Like what a concept, huh? <laughs> if you respect somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, if there's a larger lesson here for other cisgendered straight white men to be like, hey, you know what happens? Like when you treat somebody with respect, listen to them, and observe their boundaries, you may have a positive relationship with them. Not saying you're going to get to have sexy time, but things might go better for you in life. Maybe we should start doing that. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so Shadowheart and I have been making starry eyes at each other. And and uh, and Lazelle seems I don't to be trust okay her. with it. <laughs> well, her name is Shadowheart. I yeah. wanted to ask you about her specifically because I feel like, and maybe this is just my experience, but I've I've I come from several origin story gaming groups that I was in that had lots of female gamers in it, 
And I feel like Shadowheart is playing on a female gamer trope. Uh, not of the gamers themselves, but of the kinds of characters that I've seen female gamers make. Does that I resonate with well, you? I don't all? know that I know enough about her background. Um, oh, okay. Then we will. Get, I know she's got some glowy purple thing in her wrist that causes her pain, mm-hmm. something to do with other gods or something. And I know she doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk about it. And I haven't pressed because yeah, she said don't. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, so. you should respect that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like, are you okay? You don't want to talk about it? Okay, cool. Let's cool. get back to killing this fucking owlbear. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I, I I, want to revisit this because there's plenty of male gamer tropes around the kinds of characters we make. And I think that there is also tropes around the kind of characters that female gamers make. And I could be totally wrong about this. I love Shadowheart as a character. Um, obviously, she was sitting on the sidelines until I found Withers. <laughs> which I will spoil this do a Google search for withers and how to get him because he's, I don't know why he's not built into the game from the get go. So withers will let you respec other characters. So I get to be the cleric. That's what I wanted. And then I respec Shadowheart into a bard and she's fucking awesome as a bard. That's so cool. <laughs> so anyway, that's Matt's uh, weird romantic interactions in the game's uh, corner. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, uh, this is the thing about railroad, and I don't know if everybody wants this, but like, when I've wandered off into that swamp, right, it was immediately clear that this was a bad place. <laughs> this, this was very dangerous. Like, I noticed somebody patrolling on the paths. I checked their hit points, and I'm like, ooh, fuck, everybody's stealth. We're going to stealth and go through this uh this water and swamp everybody gets poisoned and diseased jesus like we talk to a frog things happen we you know we go to this hut and uh yeah i got a green eye now so um and now i'm trying to figure out how to get back out of the swamp without fighting the red cap because i'm legitimately scared at this (laughs) point like brilliant 45 hit point fey nothing to snuff at when you're third level (laughs) like I I love this is a feeling this game is producing in me a feeling that I think we experienced in vanilla World of Warcraft where you know we played horde primarily and there were chances where you know we'd be in the forsaken starting zone and you could wander into a a, a zone that was too high level for you and then a son of Arugal would come out of nowhere a giant like demonic werewolf would come out of nowhere and just like one shot you and we spent so much time in that game exploring as a group and finding stuff and like leveling up and then coming back and like trying to fight fight off the son of Arugal uh werewolves and stuff like that and the the fact that the game is not curating a safety experience for you in vanilla world of warcraft and in Baldur's gate 3 it makes me want to do the same thing in uh in our D games like not you know like it leave it up to the players like in the past i've said it's okay to tell your players like hey you might want a second uh give this a second thought before you go into this room because there's something really bad in there that you can and this is how you know that to kind of like give them a heads up i still think there's nothing wrong with that but the way that this video game has made me feel about potential danger sweetening the pot, you know, like it reminds me of old school D and D like, um, vampires weren't scary because they're vampires. They were like 
fucking scary because like they fucking level drain you man <laughs> like that's what made yeah, them whites terrifying. are terrifying in old school dnd yeah like so i i don't want to go overboard with it but what do you think about that like establishing that things could go really south it's really up to the players like it's it's really up to the player characters where they want to take it because i tend to put things on guardrails and like put up little like we're I, I i treat it like we're going bumper bowling like i put up the what do you think yeah no i mean that's one of the things in talking about wanting to play riffs or like that uh like old school essentials player made dark sun hacks like i want it to be like this is not a balanced game do mm -hmm. not come into this thinking this is balanced i will provide you with hooks of things that are around you in interesting situations and you go off and explore them and I always say I'm going to do that. And then I pull punches and I want to yeah. break myself of that. Like, yeah, because that's taken away the player's agency. And that's the other thing I'm getting from Baldur's Gate. And that is system agnostic. Right. Although I will say uh, you really haven't fought anything in the Soulbound game that makes me think like, oh, it's all over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though even though my guy did get shredded by a giant house size spider <laughs> but he was the only he like tanked that thing for four rounds while everybody else was shooting it so like which i thought was his job yeah 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 it is yeah, working it's, as you know, intended it's a heroic fantasy game but <laughs> maybe i no i shouldn't have said uh-oh when you guys approached mm -hmm. the warehouse with your plan last time i tend to do the same thing i pull punches as well and what can we do to I mean, maybe this is an episode of itself, like how to stop pulling punches. Like, but like, what would you roll in the open? Well, we play on Zoom, so that kind yeah. of happens in general, right? Like, but with the VTT, you can hide your roles as a DM. And oh, I didn't know it did that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I want to do it granular, gran like that, I think would be the advantage of a virtual tabletop. Mm -hmm. um like foundry you could have the character sheets or like a macro for the roles of the players like down at your bottom bar if you're running it in a virtual tabletop it would actually be easier i think than running it face to face or using die so if mm -hmm. they're advancing down a hallway you can have the die rolls hidden for just like perception or whatever um and then you can just click on everybody's to be like oh you notice which is a cool experience like i mm -hmm. love I love the paranoia I get when I hear the dice cup rattle and <laughs> yes. that it's just like, and that it doesn't tell me anything. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what did I just miss? Or one of the NPCs will say something like, oh, there's something over there. And you're like, where? I don't see it. Like, yeah. yeah. And then I click on them and they don't see it anymore. Yep. That's what helped me find a hatch that I didn't know was there that led into a basement that eventually helped me find a lever that I pulled that opened a bookcase that took me into a room where I had to fight a bunch of shit. And then I discovered there's a giant magic mirror in the wall. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know what to do with this at all. And it's I've just been leaving it because I don't want <laughs> to touch it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. We we do need to do an episode on how to make yourself stop pulling punches. Like, I think that's a that's a worthy topic, at least at least for a warm up topic, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I like about riffs is like the way the mechanics of that game go, like short of fudging dice rolls egregiously, there's no way to pull punches. Like mm -hmm. someone who's not in mega damage body armor gets hit with a mega damage attack. They're just dead. Right. Right. They're paced. They're literally like a cloud of mist or mm -hmm. have a volleyball sized hole burned through them. It's over. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. You got hit with an anti-tank rifle while you were going grocery shopping. There's like <laughs> well, the, the building you're in is it. also destroyed. Like, yeah. Well, wait, let me ask you a question because we keep mentioning VTTs. Because um, isn't Wizards of the Coast coming out with their own virtual tabletop, like an immersive virtual tabletop experience? Do you think that that's going to land better because of Baldur's Gate 3? Or do you think people uh, like us will just stick with the standard, you know, the the tools we've been using so far? I would not be confident that you wouldn't have to, like, rebuy all of the material to run in their custom VTT. Mm-hmm. and. I'm not doing that. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've already spent my money on roll 20. I've spent money mm-hmm. in foundry. Like I'm not adding a third one. Um, I actually don't, I don't care about the 3d immersive isometric mm-hmm. sort of thing Same. that much. Um, I, the, the overhead view with the miniatures is uh, fine. And Oh, that reminds me another thing I would add. Um, and it's really easy to do in a virtual tabletop. It's not necessarily rules as written, but uh, sightline indicators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the stealth minigame with the Starion of like yep. trying to figure out the right time to use that bonus, that cunning action to hide. Like, yeah, I'm like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a challenge that I have to figure out how to do. Like I'm sliding behind a statue, stealth and popping out, doing the sneak attack. Like, yep. Yep. I, I definitely been thinking about all this too. And I have no interest in the wizards of the coast, immersive virtual tabletop. I I'm okay with using roll 20, but I want to use it. Like we would use the, you know, wipeable graph, uh, with the markers that we used to use back in the day when it was, uh, you know, you and me and Mike and Meredith and Carrie and Hale, and then eventually Rich Ronaldo, co-creator of Velvet Generation. Um, that group, we would just set out like a laminate, not laminate, but I'm forgetting the name of the material, but you can draw on it with, you know, uh, markers, the appropriate kind of markers, and then you can just wipe it clean. And that's what our grid was. So you could be like, wow, there's like a building over here. There you go. For the audio listeners, Jesse has just held up a uh, package of markers that are appropriate for, what is it, dry erase? Wet erase. Um, Do not erase. use dry erase markers on your vinyl. This uh, is, I always yeah. get things screwed up. But, you know, you just sort of like, well, here's a here's a building over here. It's got X number of rooms and we'll put a barrel and then, you know, we'll put a bed over here. You know, like that's how I want to do it. Like I want to use roll 20 and just create that basic blueprint style area for everybody to move around in. And I think, you know, you could, I'm sure roll 20 has something you can manage with in order to create that experience that you're describing with the stealth movement. You know, you just can't make them move around (laughs) the map. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like you got it. You just got to sketch in the site the walls like the mm. the line blocking walls and i honestly i think foundry's better at it i just i think it's better at it for sure um i will say this i have that new marker pack this is just a little aside from my personal gaming experience so i have been occasionally playing dungeons and dragons with my two children who are 5 and 7 um we're not playing official dungeons and dragons rules we are using a very heavy heavily um modified version of old school essentials where they basically have three stats, strong, smart, and fast. Mm. Um, and 
So my daughter is Alaska the witch, and my son is Vanier the warrior. Um, and uh, we were playing the other day, and we get to a point where I got to draw the next room, and I realize my dry erase marker is, or my wet erase marker is out of ink. <laughs> and my daughter just flips out and refuses to play anymore. Oh no. Like I will not play if you're not drawing the next room. I'm like, we can just describe and use our imagination. She's like, no, I'm not playing. And no one's playing. Oh, Tried wow. to take her brother's mini. It was, I was like, wow, that is a reaction. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the other cool thing, this is just, I'm proud of my son. I don't know why he had no control over it. I had just bought them their, their first dice sets. Nice. So thanks to Renegade Game Studios, there's some very colorful, sparkly, My Little Pony themed polyhedral <laughs> die. And Sheridan has red Power Ranger uh, polyhedral die where the 20 is the little Power Ranger lightning bolt, right? Nice. Um, Sheridan's like, I'm like, okay, you step on the third step and the stairway becomes a ramp and spikes come out of the ground at the bottom pointing straight up. You start sliding down. What do you do? Vanier the warrior and he's like I'm going to take my sword I'm going to chop those spikes as I slide to them and I'm like (laughs) okay that's going to be really really hard to do just so you know there's a very good chance that that will not succeed he's like it's all right like okay (laughs) so he grabs his d20 they know all the dice he grabs Mm -hmm. his d20 Mm -hmm. he rolls his first roll with his new dice it's a 20 beautiful they get into that room. There's a giant five hit die stone statue. Cause I'm running an old school adventure there. I am not pulling punches. Like you're good, man. Yeah. Learn, learn, learn the hard way kids. And you'll yep. do better later. Um, mm-hmm. Sharon goes up to swing at it, rolls another 20, like beautiful. <laughs> How do then, you not you know, go ahead? His, his sister wanders back. And it's like, oh, I guess I want to play again. Like, I'm going to cast a spell at that thing. I'm like, okay, cool. And so they wound up taking this thing down with uh, no uh, no damage. The adventure, by the way, uh, out there, it's a great resource, listeners. It's Tomb of the Serpent King uh, by Skirples. It is designed to teach people how to play old school games. There's like commentary for each room of the dungeon about the lesson the players can learn there. Like sometimes empty rooms have secret things. Hmm. Sometimes there are traps. Sometimes the traps reoccur. (laughs) Beautiful. So yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. That's awesome. I love that you're teaching your kids how to play. So jealous. (laughs) here's here's how my gaming experience went with my dad the one time i got him to play and uh you know he was the one that brought me this game that brought us this game he's the one that tried to run the first out of the book adventure it didn't go so well because we didn't understand what was happening and you know one out of two of us could it was super young uh or i'm sorry one out of three of us and my bad But anyway, so years and years and years later, I'm trying to get him to play with my current group. And he was really obsessed with Shogun, that book series. And he was like, well, I would only play. I'm like, just play once. He's like, well, I'd only play if I could play a samurai. And they probably don't have that. I'm like, they do have that. It's a kit in this second edition book. I'll make you a character. And before he could go, ah, shit, what did I get myself into? We were playing a game. What's the first thing he wants to do 
in this game wants to attack something he draws his katana across his lap as he you know starts to get up then he goes into roll he gets a natural one so guess what <laughs> happens he drops his sword and then he goes well i dropped my sword i dishonor my master i commit seppuku and then he gets up and walks out of the room <laughs> <laughs> the, so all uh... i'm saying is jesse sour i appreciate you my dad, I had made, we were doing the Sunless Citadel in 5e because it's in Tales from the Yawning Portal, like a 5e adaptation. And uh, I we were at a Michigan house with the whole family and the nephew wanted to play. Like, so we're like, cool, who all, who all is in? I've got like five pre-made character. My dad takes the wizard and names him Butlinger the Wiz because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's my dad. And uh, we played in Butlinger the Wiz, cast spells and had fun and it was a good time. Well, now you guys know a little bit more about us, our fathers, and our children. Well, Jesse's children. I don't have children yet. So, uh, Jesse, is there anything else? This is kind of just like a first impression of Baldur's Gate 3. I'd like to do at least one more of these later on after I've played through most, if not the rest of the game. Uh, But is there anything else you'd like to close out with? I mean, just not since Planescape Torment have I had. (laughs) (laughs) an isometric RPG that is so much fun and Planescape was mostly just because it's so weird. Um, but yeah, I, I highly, highly recommend this game. I do want to say one of the other things I read that just cracked me up is I read this on Twitter. Someone was just like, the thing about Baldur's Gate three is so many people are playing D and D five E for the first time without the dungeon <laughs> master fudging rolls and they hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and turn karmic dice off if you want a real D and D experience. Yeah, there's a setting yep. and gameplay called karmic dice that I guess will give you, like, tweak the die rolls a little if you have a string of bad luck. Turn that off the bad yes. luck. Yeah. Yes, I definitely did. I am so glad you pointed that out because otherwise I wouldn't have known it was there. And uh, I absolutely love all the bad rolling that occurs i've gotten people there is a burning building i couldn't save the dude in time i made i didn't make my rolls i didn't get there he died and there's a part of me that was like oh i feel horrible that this happened but i'm loving every second of it (laughs) yeah every every time i've had that conversation with kaga the druid and her Mm -hmm. viper and the kid Mm -hmm. i'm like i'm gonna have to kill this woman (laughs) like Uh, like I does it doesn't matter <laughs> if I'm the warlock or the fighter I'm like we're about to fight and I'm going to kill your little snake and I'm going to kill you and I'm probably going to have to kill every druid in this room <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah your group comes up covered in blood and they say to the tieflings well the good news is you don't have to lose leave the grove <laughs> yeah the ritual isn't happening <laughs> <laughs> the bad news is all the druids are dead. We're covered in blood for a completely unrelated reason. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I I love this game. I think about it all the time. I play it whenever I can. And uh, if you've been playing Baldur's Gate 3 and you want to tell us about what's happening, uh, that would be wonderful, except for you need to keep your emails short. Jesse, do we have an email address that the listeners can contact us at? We do. We are jauntymantis at gmail.com. All right. You know, we also have social media where the Wanty Mantis on Twitter or X as it's called, or as I'd like to call it X. And I think we're also on threads at the Jaunty Mantis. 
you know, well, I and, think since we're talking about Baldur's Gate and Faerun and the fact mm-hmm. that Drizdu Erden was in Baldur's Gate three, I think mm-hmm. we should call it his swords crossed in an X. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. And uh, you can check Jesse out online at Jingoist Bet. It's a very clever uh, handle on Twitter, Twitter, Twitter and other places. Yes. Also threads. Also the Instagram Mm, uh, I forgot about the Instagram. I've been debating doing TikTok. Oh, wow. Yeah, because there's some real low-hanging fruit where people just like hold an RPG book up to the camera and are like, this game is about this. You should play it because blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we actually only really mentioned the email in the last two episodes. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe after this one, we're desperate to hear yes. short, concise messages from mm-hmm. you, the listener. Yeah. And if you can think of what's a way this game has changed your TTRPG experience, or at least made you think about changing your TTRPG experience, or maybe you did something really cool in the game and you want to tell us about it, but just keep it short and concise. <laughs> I feel like we're kind of sending out mixed messages here. I don't know. Uh, hey, it is what it is. We'd love to hear from you, but only in small amounts there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is the Jaunty Mantis podcast. These are very creative questions for curious gamers. I'm Maddie. I'm or Matthew or whatever. And I'm Jesse. Jesse. Oh, there we go. Say it again. I'm Jesse. There you go. And uh, we have a catchphrase. Get out there. Play some fucking Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, go go play some fucking Baldur's Gate. Good night, everyone. (laughs) 